You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. can get you through anything. His name is power. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. We are coming uh, to the end of our journey through the stages of faith. We see this graphic on the screen. We've got one week left after today, and we are at the wall. You see uh, between stage four and stage five. We're going to be talking about the wall today. The model we've been using for this up there is from a book called The Critical Journey. And the premise of this book, the premise of this series is that if you journey long enough in in the spiritual life, in the Christian faith, if you go far enough, there are certain phases of of development that you can expect. And we don't just get to to skip at our leisure to any stage. It's, It's a process that God is calling us to experience in a deeper life and journey with Him. But that needs stage, there are, there are certain barriers that come up. There are certain things that we need to be aware of, certain uh, things that God might be calling us to overcome. So the idea then is that wherever we're at in faith, we might uh, consider what barriers are in front of us and how God might be calling us to go one step further, one step deeper. Now, although each uh, stage, if you will, wherever you are in the spiritual life, there's, there's a wall a wall of some type, the wall that we're talking about today is a little bit different. Really in the sense of its magnitude. The wall is is kind of this this big, ominous thing. It's a point where uh, the only way through it is a complete and total surrender of one's life to God. Earlier in our faith, maybe we can give up this. Stop doing that. Start doing this new practice. And well, you know, just, just these little things. We can give this little piece of our life to God. We can give this little piece of our life to God. And we'll see progress in the faith. At the wall, it's not just this. It's not just that. It's not one little thing. It's everything. That the only way through the wall, into the journey outward, into the life of love, filled with the Holy Spirit, is complete and total surrender to the will of God in our life. It's a death to self. I heard it put this way recently. I liked this analogy that um, up to this point, Jesus has been the guest in our house. Right? My wife and I like to have people over. We like to have guests over to our house. And we often say when they come over, make yourself at home. And what we mean by that is, you know, make yourself comfy on the couch. Feel free to lounge. Uh, 
dig into the fridge or the pantry and get some food. Get yourself a glass of water. But what we don't mean by that is, uh, in the truest sense, most literally, to make this their home. You know, if, if you don't like the carpet, feel free to rip it up. Or, uh, you know, if you need some money, you can sell our TV. We don't need it. You know, we, we don't mean that, all right? We, we don't mean that literally. And in the same way, maybe Jesus has been just a guest in our house. We say, make yourself at home. We're happy to have him here. We're happy to have him as our guest. We want him to be comfortable, to use our stuff. But there's a line, right, that we do not want him to cross. There are things that we do not want him to mess with because at the end of the day, it's still our house and he's still the guest. The wall is where God comes to us with the deed to the house and a pen. He says, sign it over to me. Everything that's yours. Sign it over to me because I don't just want to be your guest. I want to own this house. I want you to be my guest. That's the wall. Jesus isn't happy being our guest anymore. Now knowing this, you and I today, right now, we can say, God, I am yours. All that I have, all that I desire, all that I am, I'm, I'm yours. Just, just take it. We can do that. And I've, guys, I've done this hundreds of times, maybe thousands. I don't know. I'm not counting. But, I, but it's a good spiritual practice, surrender to God. And yet, I find that in, in moments or in hours or in days that I'm doing the same old things that I used to do, and I find that, that, that sincere surrender to God maybe didn't really happen like I thought it did, right? That Jesus is still clearly the guest in my house and not the other way around. What gives? A guy named Steve Siemens is a professor at the, the seminary I go to, and he wrote this in a book. Uh, he, said, he says, we can no more fully die to ourselves than we can atone for our sins. I'll read that again. We can no more fully die to ourselves than we can atone for our sins. I thought that was really uh, insightful, this, this idea that we all know that we can't atone for our sins, right? It, it is by the blood of Christ and through faith in him, by, by the grace of God alone, that our sins are forgiven and that we are saved in him. In the same way, um, it is by the grace of God alone that we can die to ourselves, Yes, it's a choice that we can make in, in, in the moment, but that final death, this, this wall that we're, we're called to go through, eventually is, is a place that God needs to take us to. It's a place that God needs to get us through. Alone. So he says what we can do is offer ourselves to God as fully and completely as we know how, like we're talking about. And then in response to our surrendered act of will, God will accomplish a deeper work of grace in us. It's a process and if we're faithful to this process, if we're faithful to God, it will eventually lead us to this time where God shows us all of this junk we had in the attic that we didn't even know was there. Turns out this junk is the stuff that uh, has the closest bind on our heart, the tightest grip on our heart, but he shows us that it's there and we can finally deal with it. So hopefully we understand kind of what the wall is now and what separates it um, from other walls you might experience. It's a death to self. It's a complete surrender of one's life to God. It's something that God is preparing us for 
through a series of similar but smaller deaths, right? But being that you can't just be at the wall by choice, what I want to ask you today is what is your wall? Right here, right now, this time in your life, what is your wall? Think for a moment. Take a survey of your life. Look through your house and your belongings and your desires and your dreams. There's something that tends to get between you and God. There's something that that tends to, to pop up and keep you from him. There's something that tends to to get control of your heart. Maybe it's little, maybe it's big. What is it? Is it something you're doing? Is it something you're not doing? Is it a relationship? Is it a, a dream of some kind? Is it something you want? Something you want to get rid of? What is it? Think for a moment, and I know that if you're like me, the tendency is like you don't even want to acknowledge it. You know it's there, but you've kept it in the back of your mind. You don't want to acknowledge it because you know the moment you, you, you acknowledge it as an issue that it needs to be dealt with. Just, I'll give you permission in this moment just to, just to hold it in suspense and not have to deal with it, but just think about it. Just acknowledge it. What is it? What's your wall? Mine, um, I'll just confess to you right now, is the way that I spend my free time. This might sound little, it might, might not sound like a big deal, or, but... It's the, it's the hour that I have at the end of my day to do whatever I want with, and I choose to watch TV. It's the, the five minutes while I'm waiting in, in the doctor's office for my appointment that I'm scrolling through my phone and social media. It's the, and I could go on and on and on. It's, it's the 10 minutes during my morning devotional that I, that I waste looking through news that just doesn't matter <laughs> And I could go on and on. That's my wall. I'm not saying that's your wall, but that's mine. And it keeps me from God. Imagine if that, that hour I spent at night watching an episode of TV, I, was, I even spent 20 minutes of that praying daily. I mean, there is, there's an intimacy with God that I, that I would gain that I know would change my life. And I know, I know this. I know that I fall again and again to the temptation of just, just kind of keeping my mind idle and busy, and yet I I keep falling to it. So, what's your wall? And how are you going to overcome it? The scripture that we're about to read has really spoken to me this week. I'm called to take action. I hope you will be too. And we'll kind of work through it. It's a scripture that you're familiar with. Well, I'm going to assume you're familiar with. Um, It's the Garden of Gethsemane. There are two things that are happening here in the scripture before we get into it. One is that Jesus is at his wall. A very real one. The garden is where Jesus went to pray the night that he would be uh, taken by the authorities and the next day he was to be crucified, right? So Jesus goes to the garden to pray and he's dealing with his wall. We'll read what he says. But yes, Jesus had walls. We tend to forget that Jesus was human, Right, That his uh, will of his flesh wasn't always in line with the will of God. He always obeyed the will of God, but his temptations were powerful. In fact, it even says in Hebrews that 
well, it suggests anyway, that he, he was tempted far more than we've ever been tempted. Have any of us been tempted to the point of shedding our blood? So Jesus is at a wall. That's the first thing that's happening. Two, Jesus is preparing his disciples for their wall. And what I find so interesting about this scripture is that the disciples think that they're ready for what's about to come. They think, they're convinced that when temptation comes, they will overcome it. They think that given the chance to die for Jesus, they will take it. I'm following Christ all the way to the end. And I know this because just before the scripture we're about to read, just after the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples, he says this, you all will fall away. They're going to take me, and then you all will fall away. You know what Peter says? He says, no, they might all fall away. I'm sticking with you, Lord. That's what, that's what Peter says. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, before tomorrow morning, when the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. Mark my words, three times before tomorrow morning. And Peter says, no way, Jesus. Absolutely not. He says, I will die with you if I must. And then all the disciples agreed. They said the same. And the scripture we're about to read follows. So we're in Mark chapter 14, verse 32 through 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing, but when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, I've been in this scripture, all up in this scripture, for about the last month. And it wasn't until two days ago that I feel like I really got a grasp and understanding of what was, what was going on here. And I'm so grateful that, that I started to kind of see what was going on here because I was confused. Why was Jesus so hard on them for falling asleep? I understand he's in this uh, really awful situation. He's called them to come and watch and pray with him. But they're, they're tired. We all get tired. I mean, physically, they just, they, they can't stay awake. And I couldn't wrap my mind around why Jesus seems to be so upset with them, or it seems to be so hard on them for, for just falling asleep. It just seems odd. And he says this weird phrase. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. What are they supposed to be watching for? 
What are they supposed to be praying for? What temptation is Jesus talking about? Is he saying like that they're tempted to fall asleep and is sleeping a sin? It's just all, you get why I was confused here? It's not clear to me. Then he says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So in saying that the flesh is weak, is he further ridiculing them for not being strong enough to stay awake? I just didn't get it. But then I realized context. Context, context, context. What's around what we're reading? Remember what I said about the conversation that took place immediately before. How the disciples were convinced that they would not fall into temptation. Well, the garden isn't where they fell away. That's where I think I I made the initial mistake. The garden... And then falling asleep isn't where they fell away or where they fell into temptation. It was after the garden. The garden is where they missed their chance to prepare themselves for what came after. Jesus himself was preparing himself in the garden for the wall that was to come. The garden in a way, it wasn't Jesus' wall. It was where Jesus prepared himself for the wall in attentiveness and prayer. You see, Jesus knew that the enemy was near, that danger was imminent. Jesus knew it was right around the corner. And he knew that even with a willing spirit, That his flesh was weak. There's a weakness in humanity, in the human will as opposed to God's. And that if he didn't prepare himself there in the garden like he did, that when the the authorities came to get him, he would not have surrendered his life to them. He was preparing himself for that moment in the garden. The disciples, on the other hand, were convinced that they were ready. They were convinced that when put to the test, they would choose to die for Jesus. And basically, as he said, they they overestimated the willingness of the spirit, of their own spirit. Yes, they were willing. They were sincerely willing to die for Christ spiritually, but they underestimated the weakness of their flesh. It's like, uh, have you guys ever um, jumped off a cliff into the water? Like go out to the lake and people go cliff diving. I think it's what it's called. I've done it before. And from the water, it doesn't look too bad. And you think, that looks fun. That looks easy. Not bad. So you, you climb up the cliff, not really thinking much of it. And you walk up over to the edge and you say, oh, I wasn't prepared for this. That's what happened to the disciples. And consequently, when the time came, Jesus handed over his life. Jesus obeyed the will of God for his life. And the disciples... It says in verse 50, they all left him and they fled. And then shortly after that, when Jesus was in court and Peter was standing outside in the courtyard, that's when the girl saw him. She said, you're one of his disciples. And he said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. He denied Jesus three times, just like Jesus said he would. How could he do that? It's because he wasn't prepared. So what do we learn from this story? learn that sheer willingness isn't enough to overcome the weakness of the flesh when we're tested at the wall. 
And that if we don't take seriously the threat of temptation that is right around the corner at any given time in our lives, that we won't be ready for it when it comes. And then in those times when we aren't being tested, we'll simply fall asleep. We'll take a break spiritually. We'll miss out on the opportunity to pray for the power of God in our lives. To break through the wall when it does approach us. So let us all hear these words from Jesus this morning. To keep watch. Stay alert. Don't fall asleep, right? Like, pay attention to where you are at spiritually. Reflect regularly on on your surroundings, on your spiritual state. Know what's going on. Know what tempts you. Know what leads you into temptation. Prepare. Be ready. Be alert. Because you and I both know that every day we are encountered with things that surprise us. And honestly, it blows my mind these days that I'm still surprised when I fall into temptation. But I am. Be alert. And then pray. Pray daily. Pray hourly. Don't just pray for God to, like, to, to give you things and do things. In your life. Pray for greater intimacy with him. Pray that his will is done in your life above all things. And I'm telling you, I've just recently I've, been, um, I've become more aware I won't go into details, but I've just I've become more aware of how uncommon it is to find a Christian who prays regularly. And I don't mean this to be a, a, a criticism or a, and, but but guys, even even fifteen minutes a day is not enough. Thirty minutes a day, I mean maybe it's not. I remember uh, years ago I heard a story of of this. Uh, Pastor Francis Chan, who told the leadership board in his church, if they weren't praying and spending an hour a day with God, at least, he wanted them to remove themselves from church leadership. And that stuck with me. That stuck with me. And some of us, it's like, an hour? What? And yet Jesus said to, to Peter, you can't stay awake for one hour? One hour? And so we struggle for five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And I have my days where I struggle to pray too. But, but guys, prayer is so much more than just talking to God, just, just reciting things to God, than just checking it off the list and saying, I did that, I'm a good Christian. It's so much more than that. Prayer is the means by which we commune with God. It's the means through which we, we, we come to know God. It's like, it's like the primary means by which he fills ourself with his spirit. And apart from, from prayer, from a dedicated prayer life, we will never break through these major walls in our lives. We will never over, be able to overcome these temptations that continually rear up in our lives. As I talk about prayer this morning, I really hope you don't find some way to make like a metaphor out of it either. Like, oh, well, Jake's saying prayer, but maybe this means, you know, something else. I can apply this in a different way to my life. There's, no, there's nothing else like prayer that accomplishes what prayer does. There's nothing else like it. You can do everything in the spiritual life to remain faithful uh, to God, to stay active and alert. You can, you can join a small group and have Christian relationships, and you can... 
worship on Sunday, and you could, I mean, you can do, I could go on and on, you can read Christian literature and whatever, but you can serve. If you're not praying, you're toast. Absolutely toast. So, I want to tell you about an experience of mine um, that really, it's like almost one of the only times in my life, I think, that I actually did what Jesus was saying to do here. It was at a conference that I went to last fall, and um, we were there for two or three days. It was a worship conference, and so I was in this mindset, I really wanted God to do something new in my life and to help me break through a wall. And uh, so that few days that I was there, I was attentive. I was attentive to the Spirit. I was, um, I was willing. I was praying actively all throughout the day. God, God, show me what it is. You know, speak to me. Lead me in a new way. God, I'm ready. I'm waiting. I'm preparing myself for this, right? And, and for a couple days, I did that, and, and really nothing. Not, like nothing. And I could just imagine that, that for whole seasons of life, if we pray that way, maybe nothing. But then there's that moment, if we're faithful, that God will speak that God will move, that God will call us forward. And if we're not ready for that moment, we just might miss the opportunity. Because I had been praying for, for a couple days by that point and ready and alert, when that came at 10 o'clock on Friday or Saturday night, whenever it was the last day we were there, at almost the last hour we were there, and, and they said, come forward, I just, I literally almost felt my feet move and I couldn't even help it. It was just, uh, and it was because I, I kept watch and I prayed. And there was a breakthrough that day in my life that was, it was very powerful, very meaningful to me. And um, if Jesus were to return right now, I confess this morning that, that he wouldn't find me watching and praying in my life. I have a, I have a daily devotional life. I spend significant, significant time with God in prayer um, for the most part. And yet, like I said earlier, this, the space in my day isn't filled with God. I, there's, there's just this absence of praying um, for the power to overcome what I, the things I know I need to overcome. I'm filling the space with all this, all this junk, and I need to be filling it with more prayer. So I've, I've denied Christ in a way. I've denied Christ just like Peter. I've denied the life that, that Christ wants to offer to me in denying this opportunity in the garden to keep watching and pray. If Jesus were to return right now, what would he catch you doing? Are you in any way prepared or preparing yourself for the temptations that continually get the best of you, for the tests that you continually fail? Do you tend to overestimate your willingness? God, I'm willing. And yet underestimate the weakness of your flesh. Let's all hear this morning these words of Jesus, that the Spirit is willing, yes, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray so that we might not enter into temptation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, here we are praying, just as you told us to. 
Um, we recognize just as a body of brothers and sisters that some of us haven't talked to you in a while. So we just confess that and we begin this conversation now. And I pray that you um, empower those of us who just find it really hard to have a real conversation with you to, to begin doing that. I pray that you empower us to overcome temptations, to break through new walls. I pray that you give us the, the self-discipline, that you give us the, um, the power, the energy, the love that we need to faithfully seek you in prayer daily and hourly and to prepare ourselves for that amazing opportunity where everything that we are can be, become yours. Where we can say like the Apostle Paul, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We want that to be a reality in our lives, God. And we rely totally on you.